Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise that there is nothing in this universe, no one, nothing, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That that work which you have begun in us, you will complete in us. You will not forsake us or leave us or turn on us or kick us to the curb. You will hold us fast. Thank you. And may the words I speak now from your word to your people be some of those words that you use to hold your people fast. Show us Jesus. In all of his grace and glory, I pray. In his name I ask. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, team, for leading us this morning. I love singing with you. I know I say that often, but I I mean that with all of my heart. Thank you for singing so well this morning. I encourage you to open your copies of the Scriptures, please, to Philippians chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, feel free to find a pew Bible in the hymnal rack of the pew in front of you and find your way to the New Testament, about halfway through the New Testament. You'll find this this, uh, book of Philippians. It's a a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And those of you who've been with us for a while, you'll know that we're taking a break from our normal series through the Gospel of Mark throughout the Thanksgiving season and then through the Christmas season as well. And this morning, I just want to say to you, happy Thanksgiving week. God is good. And he's good all the time. And I want to speak to you this morning and encourage you to be thankful not just for the stuff he's given you or the life he's given you, but for the people he's given you. Just this past week, Joanna and I had the opportunity to sit with a husband and wife over lunch as they shared with us some of the deep valleys they are walking through in their family. And yet they said, God is good, and God is faithful, and we trust him. On Wednesday morning, I had the privilege of sitting in the living room of one of our church families here, an older couple, husband and wife, and the wife doesn't just have cancer, she is now dying of cancer. She looked across the living room, and she said to me, Pastor Ken, it's not that I don't have questions, and it's not that I'm not sometimes angry, not in a bitter way toward God, but in a way I don't understand. But she said, Pastor Ken, when you preach my funeral soon, tell everyone there that in the midst of cancer, I love my God. And then what we witnessed this morning, Miguel, following Jesus in baptism, testifying in his 40s that he has come to faith in Jesus. Wow. And then this week, being here on campus, as many of you have come and given of your time 
to serve as a drop-off location for Operation Christmas Child and to collect shoeboxes from members of our community and other churches in our community. And yesterday morning, as, as a U-Haul truck pulled up with 1,100 boxes And to see you not get discouraged, (laughs) but to chip in and to work hard so that boys and girls can get a box and hear the story of Jesus. Boys and girls, we will never meet boys and girls across our world who may for Christmas only get one box. I say to you this morning, thank you. Your encouragement of my faith is overwhelming. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Philippi when he writes these words to them beginning in verse 3 of Philippians 1 and reading down through verse 11. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of our great God. Amen. I want you to know I'm not going to preach through this text verse by verse. I'm going to highlight specifically verses 3, 4, and 5 this morning. Because verses 3, 4, and 5 aren't just black letters on a white page for me. They're deeply meaningful words. It was May of 1992 that I stood before a church like this as a 20-year-old young man Calvary Baptist Church in Adrian, Missouri, the only church I had really ever known because for the past 15 years, my father had been the pastor of that church. And it was our last Sunday there before God was moving us to northern Iowa. And I stood before a family like this family, and I read these words to my Sunday school teachers and my youth group leaders, to those who had prayed for me and prayed with me. People who showed me as a young man what it meant to follow Jesus. And so I want you to know, as you can probably already tell, this is going to be a different kind of a sermon. It's going to be a deeply personal sermon. Now, I hope in one sense my preaching is always personal. I hope my preaching gives you the opportunity to really get to know me because preaching isn't intended by our God to be just some academic exercise of imparting theological information without you hearing from me and seeing in me how the Word of God is impacting me. I want my ministry to you to be a deeply relational ministry 
Because Jesus' ministry was deeply relational. And that's why in just a month or so, we will celebrate the birth of the eternal Son of God as a human being that on a, on a night like any other night in a small little podunk place called Bethlehem, God's very own Son was born like we all were, a human being, to walk with us and talk with us, to eat what we eat, to feel what we feel, weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice, all of it relating to us in our humanness so that he could die for us in our sinfulness. Jesus' ministry had to be an incarnational ministry. It had to be an in-the-flesh kind of ministry so that it could be a relational ministry. And that's how I want my ministry to be with you. Because the big idea of this text in Philippians chapter 1 is that the Christian life is deeply relational. And that's because the gospel of Jesus Christ is deeply relational. Now, anytime I'm speaking about the gospel, I want to be sure to define that for you. You can find the Bible's definition in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. But one of the most succinct um, um, ways to remember what the gospel is, is a, a song entitled The Gospel Song. By sovereign grace, it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'll just quote it. Holy God in love became perfect man to bear my blame. On the cross, he took my sin. By his death, I live again. That's the gospel. You see the relational aspect there in the gospel. And one of the things that continually amazes me is that God has chosen to get his good news of Jesus into the hearts of people through other people. It's how you came to Jesus. It's your story of conversion that someone loved you enough to tell you about Jesus and through their ministry to you, you came to believe on Jesus it's what I'm doing right now as I stand before you. And that amazes me that God has chosen to get his word into the hearts of people through other people. God could have chosen a million different ways to get Jesus into hearts. But he's chosen to do it this way. Because gospel ministry is relational ministry. Not just from me to you, but from you to me. You see, each of you here this morning play an essential role in my faith, in my ministry. And I want you to know this morning, echoing the words of the Apostle Paul, how thankful I am to God for you all. God is using you every week to point me to Jesus and to make me more like Jesus. And so I want to ask this morning, are you genuinely thankful for the people God has intentionally and purposefully placed in your life. Because that's what Paul is saying right here in Philippians 1. Paul founded this church in Philippi. He loves the people of Philippi. It's been 10 years since he's been with them and he's missing them. And as he's thinking back on his ministry with them from a prison cell in Rome, he writes to tell them how thankful to God he is for them.
Because they have been and continue to be a source of encouragement to him for three reasons. The first of which is the gospel memories they share. The gospel memories that, that he shares with them. Now I want to say right up front here that I have worked extra hard at making this sermon unsentimental. Because when Paul is thinking back on his time with this church, when he's recalling his love for them, he isn't being sentimental. Now, when our world thinks of love, don't they think of love in sentimental terms? Don't they? You can talk back to me this morning. Don't they? Isn't, isn't the world's concept of love all mushy and gushy? It's what Julio Iglesias and Barbara Streisand once sang, feelings... Nothing more than, I will sing this one, all right? Nothing more than feelings. Remember that song? The world's concept of love is warm fuzzies and sentimental sappiness. And if you don't think that, just go home this afternoon and watch one of the Hallmark Christmas movies. Sappiness overload and warm fuzzies is what you get in every one of them because they're all telling the same story. But that's not Paul here. He'll say in verses 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 that love isn't primarily a feeling. It's a choice. It's an action. It's the ongoing Jesus kind of commitment to the eternal good of someone else. So as Paul thinks back on this church's love, he isn't rejoicing in the warm fuzzies he's feeling. He's remembering the action sequences he shares with them. Times when their love for him was visible. When they laughed together and cried together and prayed together and opened God's word together. He's remembering that even in the hard times, their love for him and encouragement of him never quit. They never stopped supporting him. This church hadn't just loved well, they had loved hard. And so a decade later, this church is still special to Paul. They are his honeymoon church. And that's why every time he thinks back of them, uh, back on them, he remembers how God's grace and faithfulness and provision have flowed into his life through them. And that's why he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy because of the history we share together. I'm a better man of God because of you. Do you have people like this in your life? People who make you better followers of Jesus? And are you that kind of person in the lives of others? Because of the history you share with them, you're a stronger follower of Jesus, and so are they. See, that's the kind of husband I want to be for Joanna. That's the kind of father I want to be for our children. That's the kind of pastor I want to be for you. I want to be a man through whom God's grace and faithfulness and provision flows into the lives of others because you all have been that with my family and me. It's been three years now, almost, since God brought us here to Bethel. 
And even in that short amount of time, God has used so many of you to make me more like Jesus. Not through sermons you've preached, but through sermons you've lived. I've seen the hope of the gospel played out in your lives. You've given me the privilege of doing life alongside of you, sometimes in a hospital room, sometimes in a living room or a dining room, and sometimes at Portillo's or Malnati's or Maxfield's. You've allowed me the privilege of singing alongside of you on Sunday mornings and eating dinner with you and studying God's Word with you on Wednesday evenings, sometimes via Zoom during the pandemic, which I didn't like. But most of the time, most of those Wednesday evenings live and in person downstairs in our fellowship center. I've stood beside you in this room on Christmas Eve as we've sung Silent Night by Candlelight when I knew for some of you it wasn't a silent night. It was a long night and a dark night and a hard night, but still you sang to God and still this morning you trust in God and I want you to know that you are being used by God to sustain and strengthen my faith in God. I've watched you keep on believing and trusting and loving the God I preach about. And through you, God has caused my faith in Him to be a hundred times stronger than when I first stood in this pulpit three years ago. Thank you for that. Thank you for being my friends. Thank you for being my church. You see, pastors don't make churches or grow churches. Churches make and grow pastors. Your gospel stories have become a part of my story. Your response in the, of faith in the crucible of suffering is a conduit of grace into my life. It's all proof that what I preach week after week is not a sham. So with the Apostle Paul, I look back over the past three years and say, I thank my God in my remembrance of you all. And I want to say, I want to challenge you to do the same with the people that God has placed in your life. So this week, Thanksgiving week, would you get some alone time with God? And would you, with God, Take a stroll down memory lane and let him remind you of how he has shown his grace and his faithfulness and his provision to you through the lives of those sitting around you this morning. And when you do that, I think you're going to find that it isn't just gospel memories you thank God for. It's a gospel partnership you thank God for. It's verse 5, where Paul says to the Philippian believers, you haven't just befriended me and loved on me, you've worked alongside of me, you've, you've sweat with me, you've partnered with me in God's work. It's the Greek word in verse 5, it's the Greek word koinonia, it literally means fellowship. And when we think of fellowship, we think Lou Malnati's, right? We think pizza. Because for Baptist fellowship doesn't really happen without food. 
That's not what Paul is saying here. He's talking about this partnership, this fellowship, this togetherness. It's doing life together. And from prison, Paul looks back and thinks back on all that gospel work, all that gospel sweat, and his heart is filled with thanks because they have partnered with him faithfully in that gospel work. It isn't just that they shared some common interests with him, like, you know, they were White Sox fans like Paul was, or Bears fans, or, or like Paul, they start listening to Christmas music in September. It's not just they hold things in common like that with Paul. No, the, the partnership they share is bigger than that and better than that and deeper than that and more enduring than that. They are, they are partners with him in the life-altering, destiny-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you want to know the story of the church at Philippi, one of the places you go back and you read is Acts chapter 16 where Paul is ministering there in their community, founding this church. And we meet a woman there in Philippi named Lydia, a very successful businesswoman. And Paul tells her about Jesus. And she comes to faith in Jesus. And then there's a servant girl there in Philippi. She's she's a fortune teller. She's demon-possessed. Then she meets Paul and Paul tells her about Jesus and she believes on Jesus. And when God moves into her life, the demons move out. And her owners are angry with Paul because she isn't going to be making them any money anymore. And so they have Paul and his friend Silas thrown into prison there at Philippi. And you remember what happens at midnight. At midnight, God sends an earthquake that shakes the prison doors open. And when the sleeping jailer is shaken awake and he sees that all the cell doors are open, he assumes the prisoners have all escaped and he's about to run himself through with his own sword. When Paul and Silas cry out into the darkness, stop, don't do it, don't take your life, we're all here. By the way, you want to know what the great miracle is in Acts chapter 16? It isn't the earthquake, it's that when the cell doors are shaken open, none of the prisoners run. And when Paul and Silas cry out into the darkness, into the heart of this jailer, and they say, don't do it, don't take your life, it's okay, we're all here. He cries out into the darkness, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they say to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that man does believe and he is saved. That man who was just a moment ago standing at the threshold of death now possesses life, eternal life. And he invites Paul and Silas to come to his home to celebrate that new life. These are some of the people in this church at Philippi, Lydia and this formerly demon-possessed girl and this jailer who was about to take his own life. Paul is saying, I don't just know the stories of grace in your lives because I've heard your stories. I share in those stories of grace because I've lived in your stories. And so he's saying to them, you guys don't just know me. 
You're not just acquainted with me. You, you get me. You understand me. You understand that I'm not who I once was. That I, you understand that I was once a Christian-hating Pharisee bent on wiping Christianity off the map. And that Jesus met me on the way to Damascus and that he saved me. And you guys get that. You, you know what that's all about. Because that same grace has taken up root in your life. You're, totally, you're a totally different person now like I am. You get me. I get you. That's partnership. Now some of you here this morning. In fact, let me just ask for a raise of hands. How many of you here this morning have served in the military? Raise your hands. Come on, don't, don't be ashamed. We, we love you. We're thankful for you. Keep, keep them up. Raise your hands. How many of you have served in the military? All right. Um, there's something I've learned in my 28 years of ministry about military people. And it's something I've learned as I've walked into conversations that like two or three veterans are having. They're, you know, they're, they're talking about their military experience. Or maybe they're not even talking about their military experience, but they're using military terms and military language. And even though I engage or try to engage in that conversation with them, I have no idea some of the stuff you're talking about. No idea. But you do. You do instinctively. You know. You get that other person because of that common shared experience. Sometimes I've learned that sometimes you in conversations with other military or former military personnel, you don't even have to say anything. You just kind of grunt. Or you nod. Or you, you do this thing. You say, hoorah. And you instinctively get one another while I'm sitting there saying, what is going on? Because I don't share what you share. And Paul is saying to these people at Philippi, that's what it's like with you and me. We get each other. We have a mutual partnership in the gospel of grace because we have both experienced the grace of the gospel. The same is true in my relationship with you. You know, the older I get, the gladder I get that God has given me people who get me. People who are with me in following Jesus. And I want you to know this morning that I'm thankful for your partnership in the gospel. And so as you look around this room this morning, are you? Are you thankful for the partnership in the gospel that we share here? Are you thankful that God has sovereignly placed people around you on your journey to glory who get you? Because the same gospel that's taken root in your heart has taken root in theirs. I want to be that for you. I want to continue partnering with you in the gospel to see God's kingdom furthered here on this corner in Schaumburg. You know, being a new pastor in a church isn't just a challenge for the pastor. It's a challenge for the pastor's family. And I'm thankful for my wife and my children and that three years ago they left their home of 17 years to come here with me to Bethel. And I'm thankful for so many of you who have invested in them, in our children during the past three years. You have welcomed them. You have loved them. Can I just say that pastors' kids need a church too? They need you. 
And I say this morning, thank you for partnering with Joanna and me and helping our children learn to love Jesus and to live for Jesus. Thank you, Sunday school teachers. Thank you, Kids for Truth leaders. Thank you, youth group sponsors. Thank you, college and career team. Thank you, Schaumburg Christian School teachers. For the 40 plus hours each week, you pour your hearts into our youngest daughters. God is using you to shape their faith in him. We're so thankful that Bethel isn't just our church family, but our children's church family. Because as Hebrews 6 verse 10 says, God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. God hasn't overlooked your ministry to our family, and I want you to know this morning that we haven't overlooked that either. And so with the Apostle Paul, I look back over the past three years, years that have been formational, especially in the lives of our youngest two daughters, and I say to you, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you because of your partnership in the gospel from that first day until now. And so with Paul, thirdly, I praise God for your gospel stamina from the first day until now. Your gospel memories we share, the gospel partnership we share, and the gospel stamina we share. Your, your endurance and your perseverance. Because Paul is saying here that the gospel relationship that he enjoys with the Philippian believers wasn't just a one night stand. It was a long term commitment. And that's a big deal because long term relationships require long time commitment. So let me prove that to you. If you are in this room this morning, if you are married, let me ask, did you learn some surprising things about your spouse in that first year of marriage? Come on, you've got to play, at least play along with the illustration. Did you learn some surprising things about your spouse in that first year of marriage? All right, so zoom ahead to year five. Were you still learning some surprising things about your spouse? Year 10, still those of you who've been married for a, a little while, year 50, still? Things that you didn't know about them going into that marriage? Ladies, when you discovered that he leaves the toilet seat up and that he throws his underwear behind the bathroom door all the time, and that's a habit that you can't break, why did you stay? Why didn't you cut and run? Because you love him. Because you're committed to him. Because you entered into covenant with him. You know, to love someone for a day or a week or a month, that's easy. But to love them over the long haul, to be committed to their eternal good over years and decades, that's a different story. And Paul says, Philippians, I thank God for you because of your gospel partnership with me and that it hasn't stopped. 
Not just over a month or over a year. It's endured for over a decade now. You haven't quit on me. You've partnered with me in the gospel from the first day until now. And I say the same to you. Now, now that I'm on this side of 50, you know, three years doesn't seem like a long time. But this week, I did a little bit of counting, and so I went back over the last three years. I counted up the number of sermons I've preached to you. Did you know that you have patiently listened to me preach and teach more than 130 Sunday sermons? You're like, I have, and I quit listening at 60. <laughs> and on top of that, another 130, 130 Wednesday night sessions. That's a lot of endurance on your part. That's a, that's a lot of commitment on your part, a lot of long-suffering on your part, because I quit listening to my teaching and preaching over 15 years ago. But there's more there. Because you have shown gospel patience and endurance, not just with my preaching and teaching, but with me personally. In three years here, I've made many mistakes. And you've been long-suffering with me. You've forgiven me. You've chosen not to dwell on my shortcomings. Why have you done that? It isn't just because you're good people. It's because you're gospel people. It's because you get that God has forgiven you and been long-suffering with you and that his relationship with you isn't some one-night stand. His relationship endures. It's eternal. And your relationship with me has been a reflection of God's relationship with you. It's what Jesus says to his disciples on the night of his arrest, his betrayal and arrest. One of the final things he will say to them before his death in John 13, verse 34, when he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you are to love one another. And so in a world that's, that's infatuated with, with instant gratification and quick fixes and disposable relationships, relational endurance and stamina really matters because Jesus says in the very next verse in John 13 verse 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love and you keep having love for one another. You see, love is what gets the world's attention. Love that lasts. Love that endures. Love that is accompanied with stamina. And that's because God built us, not for disposable relationships, so that when things get rocky and things get hard, you go to the church down the street or the church across town. No, you stick it out because relationships, long-term relationships are what God built us for because those are the relationships that reflect his long-term commitment to us. So let me ask, are you genuinely thankful for the long-term, long-time gospel relationships with your brothers and sisters in Jesus? Are you committed to those long-term, long-time relationships so that when things do get rocky and it does get hard, you aren't going to jump ship. You're going to dig in and you're going to work at this. And by God's grace, you're going to make it work.
Maybe that's true in your marriage. Maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. Or maybe that's true in your relationship with your children. Are you committed to long-term gospel relationships? Are you investing yourself and giving yourself and sacrificing and loving and partnering in those gospel relationships here in this church over the long haul, reflecting to our world God's enduring love for us in Jesus? Because Jesus didn't just come and die to save us, and then kick us to the curb when we blow it. He died for us. To keep on loving us, to remain committed to us, to never leave us or forsake us over not just the long haul, but the eternal haul. And that's why Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, He is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know what that means? You know what that means? It means that on the cross, Jesus did not love us and die for us because he loved us with some temporary, shallow love that he would withdraw when we don't live up to the standard of being his people. No, on that cross, the love he demonstrated and displayed in dying for us is an eternal, unshakable, unbreakable, never quitting, never giving up kind of love. Can I ask, do you know that love? Do you have that love? Have you entered into that eternal relationship with God through Jesus? Because Hebrews 7 verse 25 says that's why Jesus comes. That's why he is born in Bethlehem. That's why he lives the perfect life that we couldn't to die the death we deserve. And that's why today, even today, he ever lives, ever lives, eternally lives to make intercession for us. You can know this eternal relationship with God through Jesus. In fact, Jesus puts it this way. You want to know what eternal life is? Eternal life, Jesus says, is a relationship with God. It's not unending life. It's a relationship with the God whose love never ends. And that's why Jesus says, as he's praying on that night in which he will be betrayed, he prays this in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they... Know you, the only true God, Father, and Jesus whom you have sent. Do you know God through Jesus? Because you can this morning. And it's not by being baptized like Miguel was this morning. It's not by hoping that you can do enough good stuff to outweigh your bad stuff and that God will look upon you mercifully on the day of judgment. No, it's that God looked upon his Son. As his son bled and died, paying the price for our sins in full so that there's nothing left to add to his sacrifice. And that's why Paul will write in Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, unearnable, unmeritable, the gift of God. It's not of works lest any of us should boast. So let me ask, will you this morning give your life to Jesus based purely and entirely upon who he is and what he has done for you, trusting in him to bring you into an eternal, unending relationship with God the Father? 
Would you repent of your sins and trust in him? Because the Bible says, as we already heard from Acts 16, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And when you know God through Jesus, when you're brought into that eternal relationship with the Father through the Son, you always have something to be thankful for. You not only have an eternal relationship with the God of this universe, you have an eternal relationship with his people, with one another. And so the takeaway for today is simply this, that we would all be genuinely thankful for one another. That we would echo Paul's words of thanksgiving for the long-term people God has providentially placed in our life. People with whom we share gospel memories and a gospel partnership and gospel stamina. And so let's take time this week to thank God for one another because we believe what verse 6 says here. We are sure that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So thank God for one another, not just for who we are now, but for who we will be when we are with Jesus. Church, this is your people. These are your brothers and sisters. This is your forever family. So in every prayer of yours, thank God for them with joy as I do for you. To the eternal glory and praise of our great and gracious God. Amen. Father, thank you. Those words seem incapable of capturing what we feel in our hearts and what we know in our minds. That you are so good and so gracious that words could never repay. Our actions could never repay what you have done for us in Jesus. And so it's all of grace and always will be of grace. And so, Lord, if there is if there are people in our, this room this morning who haven't yet believed on Jesus, I pray that right now you would open their eyes and their hearts and that they would cry out to you in faith, repenting of their sins and embracing Jesus and be saved. And I pray for Christians who who may be impatient with their brothers and sisters in Jesus, maybe a wife or a husband, maybe they're frustrated with their children, or maybe they're having a hard time getting along with a fellow church member. And I pray today we would learn by your grace to echo the words of the Apostle Paul and to thank our God in every remembrance of the people of God. All for your glory and in the name of your Son. Amen.